Spirit, we feel your presence this morning. We feel your presence in this room. Your love is all around us. You are the reason we are here. Thank you for the worship we've had. Continue to keep our minds and our hearts open to your word. Help us to grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning I want to start out a little bit different. I'm going to give you a test this morning. Hope you're ready. It's a hard test. It's a video test. It's to see how how awake you are this morning, how aware you are. So pay attention to the screen. It's really important that you pass this test. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? How did you do? If you're anything like me, you probably missed that moonwalking bear the first time. I caught it the second time, but now that's all I see. When I watch it, all I see is the moonwalking bear. So that, it makes me ask a question. Would you pass an awareness test about what what matters most to Jesus when it comes to you and your life? Would you pass that test? What matters most to Jesus about you and your life? Or maybe, let me put it maybe a little bit more specific. If you were asked how Jesus would pray for you, would you have a sense of what that prayer would be like? Do you think that you are aware of his biggest concern for your life? The truth is, we have an answer to that question. We have a window into this because before he was crucified, Jesus prayed for you and for me. It's not just about people back then. He physically prayed for us, specifically for you and for me. Because right before going to the cross, Jesus took time to publicly pray for those who were his followers then, but not only for them, but for his followers who were to come. And he could have prayed about anything, but he prayed for three things, which makes those three things 
important to me, and they should be important to you. We're going to look at those three today, and as you know, we've been in this series called The Gospel of John, the untold story, and we're almost done. Next week is the final week of this sermon series. It's been 12 long weeks. Maybe for me, maybe not for you, but for me it's been 12 long weeks, which you know, it, it, this whole story was about the Gospel of John, the things that only John tells us in the Gospel. And that includes Jesus' prayer for those who would follow him. And it's found in John chapter 17. We're going to look at those three ways. First, Jesus prayed for your protection. Find it in John chapter 17, beginning in verse 9 where Jesus says, I pray for them, for I'm no longer going to be visible in the world. They'll continue in the world while I return to you. Holy Father, guard them as they pursue this life that you conferred as a gift through me. I'm not asking that you take them out of this world, but that you guard them from the evil one. Now, if you're a parent, you've probably prayed for protection for your kids time and time again. When they're at school, when they're out on a date, when they're driving, when, maybe when they're on a trip. But the kind of protection you're praying for for your kids is generally about physical protection. But here, Jesus is praying for protection for his children, us. But he's not praying for physical protection. He's praying for our spiritual protection. So the first thing Jesus prayed for was that you would be protected spiritually as you seek to pursue your life in him. Which means that we must really need that. I mean, I know... I do, because let me tell you the truth about my life. Apart from Jesus, my spiritual commitments, my spiritual loyalties, my spiritual obedience hangs by a thread. Every day, I am tempted to do the things that will embarrass God, to move away from him rather than moving closer to him. And left to myself, I'll give in to those temptations. So I'm in desperate need of God's help to live the way that I'm supposed to live, the way that he wants me to live. But it's only through his strength that I can do it. But it's not just help. It's protection. Because it's not just about my own weaknesses. There's an evil one out there on the loose. The Bible says that Satan is prowling around like a lion, waiting to devour his prey, and we are that prey. Satan's known by many names. A lot of them show exactly who he is and what he's trying to do. Lucifer, the tempter, the deceiver, the adversary the prince of darkness. See, Satan was a fallen angel who chose to enter into rebellion. 
leading at least a third of the angels in rebellion with him. So Jesus took Satan very, very seriously. And he wanted us, his followers, to do the same. Which is why he prayed that we would be protected from Satan. Specifically, that we would be protected from him as we pursue a life in Christ. Because what Satan will try and do is to take any spiritual interest that you might have, any openness to a life in Christ, and he will try to destroy it. Even if you even think about Christ in your life, much less invite him into your life, you're painting a huge target on your chest. If someone starts to get a little bit of spiritual momentum going, they start to take a step towards Jesus. Satan's number one goal is to do everything possible to take that spark of a spiritual life and to snuff it out. If he can't steal it from your heart, he'll he'll do anything that he can to make your spiritual and your moral life a train wreck. And you know how he'll do that? It's exactly where you've let your guard down. Where you're not protecting yourself. Because that is where we become easy prey. You see, when we seem to think that there's an area in our life that we're safe, we start to ignore a little bit because, you know, I'm strong in that area. Whenever that happens, that is where Satan is going to attack us. Because if I'm honest, there is no sin, no sin that I'm not capable of. No area where Satan can't get me if I open the door and let him in to tempt me in that area. You see, that's why so many people, prominent people within the church, that's where they fall. They they think that they're safe in an area, and they let down their guard, and that's where Satan will attack them, and that's where they fall. If you don't believe me, all I can say is this. Jesus believed this for me and for you, which is why he prayed for you in just this way. But that's not all he prayed for. The second thing Jesus prayed for was that he prayed for us to be set apart. Find it in John chapter 17, verse 17 through 19, where Jesus says, Make them holy, consecrated with the truth. Your word is a consecrating truth in the same way that you gave me a mission in the world. I give them a mission in the world. I'm consecrating myself for their sakes so they'll be truth consecrated in their mission. Now, what comes to your mind when we hear words like holy and consecrated? Someone's super spiritual, right? You know, the, the real good Christians, not me, the real good Christians. That, see, we seem to think that we seem to elevate those words, holy and consecrated, but in all reality, those words actually just mean separate, 
set apart, wholly different, completely other. So if you were to go home and have a, take a frozen meal out of your freezer and you put it into the microwave to warm it up, that meal is now consecrated. It's holy. It has been set apart from all of the others in the freezer. That's all that word means, to be set apart. It's not some super spiritual realm that we have to attain. He wants us to be set apart. Because when you're setting it aside, that's when you can impact others. And that's what Jesus prayed for. First, that you would be different from other people. And second, that, that, that we would be people used strategically in ways that other people aren't. And most of us, if we're honest, we want to be those things. We want to stand out from the crowd. We want to be known for something unique and compelling. We want our one and only life to count for something. We want to do something that has meaning, purpose, and impact. And that's what Jesus prayed for. That you would be consecrated. That you would be set apart for a mission to reach people for him. But did you catch how else he prayed there? Because to be set apart by God and for God, to have a mission from God and for God can only happen in one way. Let's take another look at it. When it said, make them holy, consecrated with the truth. Your word is a consecrating truth. In the same way that you gave me a mission in this world, I give them a mission in this world. I'm consecrating myself for their sakes, so they'll be truth-consecrated in their mission. See, Jesus was specific. We're to be set aside, consecrated with the truth. Then Jesus says, and God's word is that truth. Our mission in life, the mark we'll make in this life, the difference we'll make with our life, will come only as a result of being truth-consecrated, which means being immersed, shaped, molded, instructed, led, informed by God's Word. And here's why that mattered. It's only in the pages of the Bible that we have God's truth. It's only in the pages of the Bible that we have God's moral direction. It's only in the pages of the Bible that we find God's passions, God's heart, God's concerns that then become our passions, our heart, and our concern. So that together, His mission for our lives can be formed into our mission for our lives. If you take that away, you're just making up your own rules, your own plans, your own life. You're, you're winging it. You're not being set apart, at least not by God. 
You're making up your own private Wikipedia page for you where you can enter whatever it is you want about yourself and what's right for you. Which isn't being consecrated by God's word at all. So are you on a path that Jesus prayed your life would be on? Are you being consecrated that way? Are you being set apart by the truth of God's word for the mission he longs for you to fulfill? Are you answering Jesus' prayer for your life? But then Jesus prayed one more thing. He prayed for our unity, that we as a community of Christ followers would be one. Let me read it to you. It starts in chapter, verse 20 of John 17. I'm not praying only for them, but also for those who believe in me because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one in heart and mind. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they might be one heart and mind in us. Then the world might believe in you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them. So they'll be as united and together as we are. I in them and you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you sent me and loved them in the same way you loved me. Most of us long for community. You know, we've been in a time where community has been hard. The beginning of the pandemic, we couldn't meet together. Now we're still meeting. We can meet together, but it's still, we've got to be a little bit separate, and we've got to wear masks, and can't really hug each other anymore, and, you know, we can't eat together anymore. Well, that's coming in a couple weeks, don't worry. But it, it's hard. We want community. That's why we're here. People, we want people that we can trust and believe in, who are loyal and supportive and accept us. We'll do almost anything to leave a dysfunctional community. And we'll accept almost anything at the promise of a functional community. That's why so many people join gangs. They're looking for community because they don't have it at home, so they'll go wherever they can find it at. That's why we're here. That's why we join a church because we need that community. Which is why Jesus prayed that we would become a new community one that wasn't broken, one that was safe, one that really was loving. You see, when the Bible talks about unity, it doesn't mean uniformity, where everyone looks alike and, and thinks alike. And it also doesn't mean unanimity, which is complete agreement on every petty issue or trivial issue. 
But unity, what the Bible means first and foremost, is a oneness of heart. A relational unity. When one member hurts, we all hurt. Being kind to one another, gracious to one another, forgiving one another, not assuming the worst about somebody else. Not being quick to be suspicious about what their real motives are. Biblical unity is about working through conflicts, avoiding slander and gossip. Jesus said that it would be this unity and this unity alone which would get the world's attention and confirm that Jesus truly was from the Father. Because unity and love is the mark of a Christian. Not just a feeling of love, or an acknowledgement of love, or even a demonstration of love. Unloving attitudes and words cause a stench that the world can smell. Our sharp tongues and lack of love between us, these are what properly trouble the world. See, this dilemma, the dilemma is that it does not always seem to trouble us inside the church. It's become commonplace. I read a blog post this week, and I'm not going to... I was thinking about pulling it out and reading it to you, but I'm not going to. I read a blog post this week about how our mission field has gotten so much more difficult. And it's gotten so much more difficult because of us, not because of the unchurched people. It's gotten more difficult because of us especially within the white evangelical church, we have become so unloving, so judgmental that the unchurched people say, why would I ever want to join that? They're the ones thinking that the sanctity of life matters sometimes more than we are portraying the sanctity of life. We have a lot of work to do as a loving community to show unity to the world so that they might have an inkling, an idea that we're different, that they would want to come here and join a family. But it's not simply the acceptance of lovelessness that leads to its continued presence, but it's our justification of it. In fact, Barna Research Group asked unchurched people a simple but direct question. Why don't you go to church? And there are all kinds of answers, such as there's no value in attending. I'm simply not interested. All churches do is ask for money. That church services are boring. But the second most common answer from unchurched people why they don't go to church Six out of every ten answered this. Sixty percent of the unchurched, this was their answer. Churches have too many problems. The assessment of the unchurched is that the typical Christian community, 
is inflexible, hypocritical, judgmental, and just plain mean. No wonder why they're unchurched. Why no one would want to be involved in something like that. I don't want to be involved with something like that. Is why we need to be different. See, that's why the Bible is clear with basic principles related to relational health. Matthew 18 tells us that if you have a problem with someone, don't tell it to everyone in the church. Don't go behind their back and tell it to people. Go to them. Talk to them individually. That's step one. And step two is for me not to hear about it. Don't come to me and say what so-and-so said or did. Go to them. Don't come to me about it. And it's why we work hard to believe the best about those who are in this community, as opposed to assuming the worst about them. Because if our community isn't healthy, the world will not only pass us by, but they'll pass on Jesus' message as well. So the question is, are you building up on the community side of things, or are you tearing down on the community side of things? Are you practicing what Matthew 18 says and believing the best about others? If so, then you are an answer to Jesus' prayer. So there you have it, three prayers that Jesus had for you. He prayed for your protection. He prayed for your truth-consecrated mission. And he prayed for your unity. Now you know what matters most to Jesus about, what, about you and your life. That's what he prayed for, which is a whole lot more important than trying to catch a moon-walking bear. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for our ability to be here. Thank you for your prayer for us. Thank you for helping us know what we should be praying for, because if it was important to you, it should be important to us. We need your presence. We need your guidance. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for praying for us and help us to turn our entire lives over to you because without you in it, we are absolute failures. Doesn't matter how much money or possessions we have, without you, we're a failure. And it's your name, Jesus. Your, your beautiful name. Your wonderful name. Your powerful name. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.